Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first Citizen Game episode for 2018. This is episode 17. As always, I am one of a group of amazing female writers, critics, whatever you want to call us this week. <laughs> Kristen Lopez here with Karen Peterson. Hi. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hi. And I think we have a pretty nice uh, little agenda. Not a lot happened positive this week um but we have some we have some good stuff uh, some fun stuff for us let's let's start things off before we go into garbage people and some news let's start with a fun question so if you were on twitter uh over the last uh week and i i did ask this question on twitter and we did get a couple responses which i'm gonna i'm gonna read um because everything i get sent on twitter i will read on the podcast but uh it it wasn't news, but for some reason people just seem to, I guess, have heard about it for the first time. But there was uh, a story going around about how Eartha Kitt, back in the day, had a threesome with Paul Newman and James Dean. Again, if you're a classic film fan, you knew this, because this had been a story that had been going around for, for a long time, but apparently no one else knew this. So it became a big deal with a lot of people saying who would be in their Eartha Kit threesome. So, I guess the question I'm posing to everybody here is, who would be in your Eartha Kit threesome? <laughs> I'm gonna start with Karen. No, Just why make don't her you uncomfortable. read some of the reader responses? <laughs> I'm trying to pull them up. Okay, oh, okay. so, so the, uh, one of our reader responses, this one actually came from at the Ms. Introvert. She said, Tessa Thompson and Rihanna would complete my dream threesome, even though I think Rihanna alone would be too much for me to handle. <laughs> seems, that seems like an appropriate response. Yeah. Tessa Thompson would be like, I have many a threesome, actually. <laughs> um, and th we got another one from at DW Watches Movies. He said, Chris Pratt and Trevante Rhodes. Ooh. Get rid of the Pratt, and I think we got something there. Okay, because I find Just Chris, Rhodes. I find Chris Pratt to be like a lady boner killer. Um, I'm assuming he'd also be a boner killer too, but that's just me. Well, it's really funny that you say that because my answer would be any combination of the Chris's. Really? <laughs> it, any it's not Tom. It's not Tom Cruise. I'm very I don't want to share that time with anybody else. I just want it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I have two Chris's in my answer as well. <laughs> uh, okay, Kim Kimberly, I, I I'd have to say Chris Pine and Chris Evans. Yeah, yep. I can't yeah. I can't fault that one there. <laughs> Chris Evans does nothing for me, but I yeah. feel like yeah, oh, well, he does so, so so much for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lord, all right. Well, I've got I've got two. One of them is sort of the fantasy classic Hollywood. Uh, Ooh, or I guess, yes. you know, post-classic Hollywood. Um, peak Peter O'Toole and Oliver Reed. Do you want to die Ooh. after that? I don't care. That would be the best way to go out. Pick, yes, you way. would just be oh like, God. pickled in vodka and probably missing a kidney, but you know you had fun, okay? <laughs> no, that would be the, no, oh, I just, I just had the thought of an Errol Flynn 
three-way pop into my head too, involving <laughs> Errol Flynn and somebody else. I was thinking <laughs> Errol Flynn and See? Errol Flynn. Like, he is one, two yeah. men in one. <laughs> Just Errol Flynn. Yeah, yeah, you don't really need... Okay, well, I, I guess I'll throw out the classic film, since everybody else is, and then we'll, I'll do contemporary. If we're talking classic, I gotta go William Holden and Robert Mitchum. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, the three somewhere I'm not really sure which one to look at um, because they're both incredibly hot. And then um, I disclosed this to my mother, and she said that a I have a type, and b I'm attempting suicide. Well, we already knew you have a type, Chris. I have a type. <laughs> uh, well, my mom, my mom was very shocked that o- that Oscar Isaac was not involved in this. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, if you're gonna go out with a threesome, you might as well go out, like, like, again, I'm risking, like, death. And you guys should already know who this is. It's Army Hammer and Justin Throw. I'm shocked. 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 Let's just say the logistics of that would be, like, horrifying for me, but I'm fairly confident, like, if I was, like, going to die, like, that would be the way to go. (laughs) Gotta go out with a smile. Exactly, exactly. I do have a contemporary one, just because I can't, because both of mine are dead. <laughs> my my contemporary one is uh, Kate Blanchett and Tom Hiddleston. Ooh. 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 That'd be a whole lot of pretty. <laughs> yeah, it would. I would just be more, I would, okay, I mean, Hiddleston does nothing for me, but I'd be like, Kate Blanchett, can, just, can you wear Carol fla- fashions during the whole thing? Cause... See, yeah. Yeah. Did you I ever just... watch um, The Night Manager? No. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That question was for Kristen. You need to watch yeah. it, and then you might rethink your thoughts on Hiddleston. Yeah. Tom, uh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, The Night Manager is what changed my mind, actually. Oh, like that, yeah. I was suddenly like, oh, Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. This this That's is weird. Saying. You know what did it for me? Midnight in Paris. Him as F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yes. Was, yeah. Uh, no. Rocked I was, my little world. I was. I, I was that too. I, love that movie. I, I was too entranced. Yeah. Uh, I was too entranced during that movie by by hitting my friend, being like, "Look, I've never been sexually attracted to Ernest Hemingway in my entire life, <laughs> but I want to fuck this guy." And yeah. Yep. Thank yeah. you, Corey Stoll. So Corey Stoll. Yeah. <laughs> Who will also be in that? Ryan Gosling goes to the moon movie this year, so I am just like flush for riches. Yeah, it's gonna be him and John Bernthal and Ryan Gosling. I'm assuming all pay- playing jazz on the moon. I don't know, um, but I'm <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. Uh, so yeah, that that is our wonderful introduction to the episode. Um, so feel free. We we will take further suggestions if you have any that you want to share with us. So let's go from happiness to the horrible dumpster fire that is masculinity in Hollywood. Where do we want to start? Well, um, we can start with some good news. Yes. Karen, direct us to some good news. There are cases that have been turned over. I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Some, Some investigations have been turned over to the Los Angeles District Attorney in regards to Harvey Weinstein which is sort of leaning toward good news. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lead to anything, but it means that there is sufficient evidence on the police investigation to take it further. And this does mean that potentially there will be actual criminal charges filed against Harvey Weinstein, which is fantastic news. Yeah. Because it further illustrates that these women are not crazy, that this really happened, and that there could actually possibly be consequences so 
Yay. Yay. Mm-hmm. And and we should mention that over over the last couple of days that a uh, a large group, I think they said 300 women um uh, in Hollywood, whether it's actresses, directors, company CEOs have started a initiative called Times Up that is going to have a bunch of different facets to it. It's going to be start with a legal defense fund which they already have 13 million in donations to help less privileged women who are not Hollywood movers and shakers protect themselves from sexual misconduct. If they they suffer any repercussions, um, there will be money available to them. Um, Legislation to penalize companies that tolerate harassment and use non-disclosure agreements, gender parity at studios and talent agencies, um, and of course the whole red carpet, Golden Globes um, wearing black thing. Um, but it's it's a really interesting movement um, that's got, uh, you know, Shonda Rhimes is involved, Natalie Portman, Reese Witherspoon, Jessica Chastain. But what I'm, I'm really enjoying, and they said, you know, this is kind of, uh, when I was writing about this, I said this was the next, this needed to be the next step, which was taking this out of Hollywood and yeah. moving it into the people that the women that face harassment every day in just just society so i am i'm all for this and hopefully it's uh not just something that we're going to be talking about for a week and then people move on that it actually enacts some real change well something that's cool here i don't know if you guys have gotten any of this or if it's just being adjacent to los angeles but i've gotten a couple of emails from companies I'm already on the list for that are like, hey, if you buy this special thing or for a limited time, all proceeds are you know, going toward this initiative. And they're actually all joining in to raise money for this Time's Up initiative, their legal defense fund. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's good to see this moving outside of Hollywood and and to actually reaching out to people that, you know, the and I think one of the focuses is on farm workers people that one do not have a lot of money and two are subject are subjected to this kind of harassment you know consistently and so that these very powerful Hollywood women who are turning around and going like okay we have to deal with it in our industry but there are also people outside of our industry that need help and where you know their address to the I believe to the farm workers was dear sisters and it was saying like you know we're all in this together we are all women we are all dealing with this shit and we and us as powerful women we're going to help you we're going to give we're going to try and support you just as you have have supported us yeah and and i think that hopefully this will move the conversation as well a lot of people are saying with with the globes being by the time this goes up they'll probably already happened but with the golden globes this will finally be if, if people remember in the past the hashtag ask her more which was ask ask the women about more than what they're wearing and i'm assuming we're going to be seeing a lot of probably awkward uh news reporters <laughs> having to you know talk to uh celebrities about this which should be should be fun but if you want to know more you can go to uh timesupnow.com and they have all the info there so hopefully hopefully this brings about some some good stuff yeah yeah definitely so let's move on to where do we want to move on to next uh lauren pick pick where we go on the wheel low questionable <laughs> <laughs> on the on the wheel of terrible people yes. uh I, I don't know do we want to talk about paul haggis for a minute yes yeah, let's, let's go in this let's talk second. about paul haggis and then hopefully we can talk about some better things so paul haggis is uh one of many men to recently be accused of 
uh, sexual misconduct in some way. Does anybody have the article up in front of them? I have a courtesy of the Hollywood Reporter, but supposedly there was, uh, there's been accusations from four different women that um, Paul Haggis had assaulted them. Uh, there's even two, it's sexual misconduct, including two rapes. And there was, I guess, a civil lawsuit previously filed against him that caused more women to come forward. Supposedly, he's been, uh, allegedly, he's been accused of raping a publicist who, I guess, he's, she says that he forced her to uh, perform sex acts and then raped her. And it's horrible. <laughs> the whole thing is horrible. There was supposedly, she, she the woman demanded a uh, significant payment to avoid legal action. That's, that's Haggis's argument. Um, he says that this is extortion. So Haggis is an interesting figure because of what, Karen? Well, he very publicly split from the Church of Scientology a couple of years ago. And it was even a bigger deal when he left than when Leah Remini left, even though Remini got very loud after she left and started, you know, wrote a book, started a show. Paul Haggis was one because of his level of influence as a director and a writer. The Church of Scientology really tried hard not to let him go and has brutally, brutally attacked him ever since he left. They have not let him go at all. Like, they have not let him alone. So, I mean, I'm not saying that this is a false report, but I have questions about it. I, I, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I I immediately said Scientology, and this is not something that has no basis in fact. If you've read or or watched anything about the Church of Scientology, there there are definitely smear campaigns that they do against quote unquote suppressive people. Really hardcore ones. I mean, yeah. they they go after everything about their lives. Yeah, and yeah. these are just like regular people that aren't necessarily you know, that aren't necessarily in, in the industry. So I, I would say that it would be a horrible thing for, for a church to commodify this movement for their own aims. I choose to believe women, but at the same time, when you're dealing with, with someone like, like a very publicly associated ex-member of this group that you know has created campaigns similar to this, where the intent is to destroy a person's life or or create some type of like criminal actions it's hard to disassociate um so i i'm very i'm very interested to see where this goes um of course we would hope that you know these women are honest and i i definitely believe their accusations so they're trying to say they're not associated with scientology but at the same time how can you i mean like of course they're not going to say they are right well and here's here's the thing i feel like because there's been a lot ever since ever since the the news started pouring out um, and all these accusations started flying about a lot of different people there there's also been that well this is a witch hunt and they're just gonna make you know people are just gonna start making these false accusations against people the, those claims have been out there and I, and so it's some people have said well it'll all get sorted out other people have said well if a few innocent men get taken down in the process so be it you know there's been this whole like how do we really properly handle this and how do we know who's actually guilty and who's not even though i'm pretty sure like most of them are guilty and to me i think that this case is what's really going to force people to really look at the facts and to say okay 
we have to be very careful in these accusations and make sure that we get to the bottom of it in every case because we don't want innocent people to get wrapped up in this but at the same time we need to believe women when they come forward otherwise they're not going to come forward so it's a very tricky situation but i think this is the one that's really going to make people stop and take a look at how they're they're handling these things and if paul haggis really is guilty of this stuff he needs to go away too just like everybody else so I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm not saying he did. I don't know. It's questionable. But I think that this is this is what's going to really get people to, to stop and examine how they're going forward. So at least I hope so. Kimberly, yeah. Lauren? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult one. Um, That's hard. I, I think I'm like, I think I'm like everybody else that, you know, you, you want to, the, the default position should always be in, and should continue to be, we believe women. Yes. Um, yeah. One of the things that when the when the Paul Haggis stuff first began coming out, whatever that was, a couple of days ago, someone mentioned the story that I believe Thani Newton told. Right. About which is not in itself a sexual assault that Haggis committed, but the story that Thani Newton told was that on this, I believe, on the set of it was Crash. The set of Crash. Yeah, she. Um, they were filming. She, they were filming the scene. If if you've seen Crash, it's the scene where Matt Dillon pulls the, uh, her and Terrence Howard's character over. Yeah. And Matt Dillon. Yeah. Matt Dillon was told that he was going to simulate a hand rape. She was not told that. All Paul Haggis asked her was, "Quote: What underwear are you wearing today?" And that was it. Um, so the look of shock and horror on her face is legit. This and and it's that sh- that shit really annoys me when it happens. It, it just it's so disgusting when it happens. If anybody remembers, I think it was what Bertolucci when he yeah. filmed mm-hmm. the the rape scene in Last Tango in Paris did not tell the actress that he was going to do that. And and that more than anything really really leads me to question whether these actors to say you know what maybe this this is true because when you're yeah. a director in a position of power you are beholden to your cast to make them comfortable and if all and if you're going to single out the females and be like eh, i i want to see like it doesn't become about acting at that point like i just want to see like the look of horror on her face it, going back to like hitchcock and filming marnie it's just that that shit just makes me think like okay well yeah haggis is a scumbag yeah ex- exactly it becomes that he obviously if you know, and and again, it's one of those: is this story true? How you know? How much are we going to? How much are we going to accept it? I don't see any reason not to say that this story is true, and so that is, that is where the question mark begins to come in. That you're just like, okay, well, he's obviously okay with doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it lends again doesn't say that this that these accusations are true, false, whatever, but it does lend credence to them. I think more more than that. It, the, the problem with all of this is that we do have to have a default position of believing women when they come forward. Four women have come yes. forward. Right. Four women have come forward saying that this is something that happened with them. Now, could this be a Scientology conspiracy? Yeah, it's really, you know, everything that I've ever read about the Church of Scientology is crazy, and Haggis was a major player, particularly in the going clear stuff, in all of that, in all of that discussion. And so, it does begin to raise question marks, but at the same time, we can't we can't say, okay, well, we're going to put him in one category, and but we're going to put right. Weinstein and everybody else in another category. We have to put them all into the same category, and then if it does, if false accusations do turn up again, 
false accusations are a minuscule number mm-hmm. in rape cases. So we have to be very, very careful about saying, well, this, this, is, a, this is a conspiracy against Haggis personally. Here, here. <laughs> yeah, here, here. Yeah, so, and I don't want to sound like I was defending Haggis. No, and no, 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 no. Because yeah, I, no. I, I, I agree with you, Lauren. I think that, yeah, our default has to be to believe women and to investigate it, you know, thoroughly. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't start off attacking the women. And that's, you know, that's my thing here. Like, it's very possible it's true. It's, I would say it's very likely that it's true. But at the same time, if, if anyone's got false accusations against them or has, you know, has someone with a reason to, it's probably Paul Hackett's <laughs> because, and it has nothing to do with women. This isn't about, like, in his situation, if it's not true, it's not about women coming up with a reason or going after money yeah. or anything like that. It's about the church trying to destroy people. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, note to directors, tell people before you do stupid shit on your set, okay? Uh, yeah. Stop with this whole... I want to create art, so I need to make women incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, Again. that's not art. That's, Do it to the men. Just Do evil. it to the men. Okay, how about <laughs> Let's that? Let's make everyone incredibly yes, uncomfortable. Yes, make everybody <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable. Be like David O. Russell and just piss everybody off, okay? <laughs> oh, there's, a, there's another garbage person that's, that we talk about. <laughs> speaking of people I'm still shocked have not, like, fallen from epic heights, like, how is David O. Russell still doing anything? Wait, we yeah, we have video. We have audio. We know he's a horrible human being. I mean, sweet Jesus, what is going on? I mean, maybe he's just been very open with his horribleness, and nobody's surprised at all. Yeah. God. Ugh. Remind me, yeah, one of numerous reasons I despise him. <laughs> Should we talk about the Woody Allen diary? Oh, God. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> Speaking of horrible people that we've known for fucking decades are disgusting human beings. So who has who has that up? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I just thought of it just now. So thank you for bringing that up. Diaries. Uh, <clears throat> Woody Allen Diaries sounds like the most boring book ever. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so it was in the New York Times, I think. Hold on. Uh, well, I think it's Washington. Post. It's Washington Post. Oh, was it the Washington Post? Oh, okay. Dang it, sorry. Hold on, I have it, I have it. So I should have I been prepared for that. I know. That. Um, I try to forget Woody Allen exists sometimes. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're, we're now in that part, that subsection of Garbage People, where we talk about Woody Allen. Because <laughs> it's either Woody Allen or Roman Polanski. I mean, we could take your pick, okay? So, supposedly... They are, like, the maggots at the bottom uh, like they're the garbage old, pile. Yeah, like, we expect them to be garbage at this point. They're just like, oh, it's just Woody being Woody. Um, and, and that shit needs to stop, okay? <laughs> um, so, this, this came out uh, on the 4th from the Washington Post. This was uh, written by Richard Morgan, who looked at a 56-box archive of Woody Allen's notes and diaries, drafts, scribblings. It's a 57-year personal archive he has been curating since 1980 at Princeton. Did you think he went to Princeton? No, just Princeton bought his shit. So, so he, uh, Richard Morgan proceeded to go through Woody Allen's papers, and it is just like a treasure trove of misogyny where he would create a a female character and then he would reduce the age down from like 21 to 18 and then 
every everybody's age starts if you're a female at like 16 or 17. Um, he had many stories and drafts that showed May-December romances um, that were very, very weird and awkward. I'm, I'm going through all of this. I'm trying to find like the bon mots of just like horrible disgustingness and I can't find it because it's a really, really long article. But it's not telling us anything we didn't already know. Woody Allen yeah. is interested in underage girls in his films. No shit, Sherlock. I mean... We've known that shit since the 70s. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, Woody Allen promotes this kind of, like, mis- uh, mis- misogynistic nostalgia for for certain female characters. I mean, again, not anything new. This is not new. And I think Dylan Farrow was on Twitter actually sending tweets to women who had worked with Woody Allen who had not said anything about it. She went um, and, and messaged Blake Lively publicly and said, like, hey, how do you respond to all of this? I mean, why does why do we think Woody Allen continues to get a pass? I think because he hasn't joined the club. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He keeps himself out of the academy. He, you know, he positions himself as this person who's outside, so he's kind of adjacent to it so people just keep allowing it to happen because he's sort of this like maverick well i i also you know think that and and i know that it's something that happened so long ago and and i've heard people defend it to this day well you know he's just he's doing it on film it's not anything that he's done in real life and then when the dylan farrow stuff came out you, you know you have no idea how many people still are like totally cool with the the whole suny thing you know, oh, well, she wasn't really his daughter. She's not blood. They've, they've been married for a long time. They seem really happy. I mean, there's just... We still keep making concessions for him. I mean, and I, I mean, the work... The work has not been good for a long time from Woody Allen. I mean, people... people. There are many critics who will be the first to tell you that, like, for every good Woody Allen movie, there's, like, three bad ones at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah um, he's yeah. just churning them yeah. out. And... Well, he he does produce what a movie a year. Yeah. And and has yeah. since 1980 or something like that. So, you know, you're you're all for you, So yeah, it's, it makes sense the for There's every be one some flops. Yeah, for every one good film, uh it, when you're when you're run, turning out work at that rate for every one good film, of course there's going to be three that are bad. It, you know, the one I do have to say the one thing that makes me slightly uncomfortable about the Washington Post article in particular and I'm not saying that this is not true. But I am saying that we have a male writer who has gone into a massive archive and picked certain things that he then publishes and saying that this proves something about Woody Allen specifically. So there are all kinds of things that are coming together there. One of them is the notion of taking someone's work as a fiction writer and saying this is exactly the way that he thinks and feels as a regular human being. There are lots of different arguments about that. We have to be careful with applying the art to the person and vice versa. The second thing is that this is a massive archive and I, 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 I said this on Twitter, I want to know, I want to read some of this, the actual material versus the material that someone has taken and then formed into an article and see what my own personal reaction is and what other people's reaction are. I would like to see a multitude of articles actually about these archives and people that are going into it and see what other reactions we're getting. Right now we have one guy's reaction in a very long and obviously very well-researched article 
that makes a particular argument. So it's one of those that as as a film scholar, I'm a little uncomfortable with what is being done and what is what this is being treated as proof of something about Woody Allen. True or false, you know, I think there are pl- there's plenty of other proof in Woody Allen's personal life that we can use about his his issues with underage women and things like that. I'm not certain whether we need to start picking out stuff from his archive and then applying it. I can see that, yeah. I mean, right now it's just, it's another, I think, kind of nail in this coffin that has been consistently, like, nailed shut, <laughs> to use a metaphor. Yeah, exactly. And and the jo- some of the jokes that I know were quoted in the Washington Post article, if you go and watch any Woody Allen film from, like, 1969 onwards you're going to find similar jokes in the in those films and for the most part as critics and as film viewers we've been pretty okay with it Mm -hmm. uh there's always been the sense that we've expected it we've he's he's using a particular type of comedy that at least when he started out was very common the the whole jokes about you know uh uh, something like being an 80 year old man in a room with two strippers things like that those are those are very common kind of 1960s, 1970s jokes that don't play in 2017 anymore. So there's there's all sorts of stuff that is going into this, and I I I think that there's a tendency right now to just throw everything onto the page and to be like, okay, here we have proof of how terrible everybody is. What what I'd be what I'd be interested to see because we all know Woody Allen has a movie coming out this year. Yeah. Um, the one with uh, with Al Fanning and Selena Gomez. That everybody is aware Al Fanning's character is supposed to be in a relationship with Jude Law's character, and I think she's supposed to be playing sixteen. And my it, my, I'm interested to see if we finally are not okay with it at this point. You know, with the the whole movement that we're seeing, people. You know, we the only way that Hollywood reacts is with the wallet, right? So yeah. I, if if this movie makes no money, and we already know Wonder Wheel made no money, mm-hmm. you know, is that finally going to be enough? If the return on investment is not going to be what Amazon or whoever bought this expects, is that finally going to do something? Yeah. Well, I think another thing that... I, I Okay, first of all, yes, I believe that this is going to really kill that movie that's coming up. Yes. But I think one of the other things that has kind of kept him afloat, whether the movies are good or bad, are the cast that he goes to. He tends to pick people who are, like, current in the moment. Yeah, he's roped in my, my secret love, Timothy Chalamet, for his new movie. Yeah, and upset. if you read... Yeah, and if you read stuff on Twitter from the Call Me By Your Name posse, like, I've seen so many tweets where they're like, I know it's Woody Allen, and I know I shouldn't want to see it, but it's Timmy, and I'm going to go see this no, movie, and I'm just no. like, ah! Okay, so next time I'm ever in a room with him, remind me to slap him upside his beautifully coiffed head. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, no, I won't, because I'm not going to mess that hair up. <laughs> but yeah, but I think that's one of the problems, is that he gets the people that are, are in the, you know... Zeitgeist. Our current... Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. it is true. We, we have a choice about whether or not to see these movies. Uh, mm-hmm. If we don't, if we don't like what Woody Allen is doing, either as in his personal life or in his professional life, we don't have to pay for it. Like right. that's something that we we can choose not to pay for. Yeah, it's uh, Allen is one of those that it, it has become so complicated and so weird. I'm surprised that we're still talking about this, given the content of Manhattan. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if we're talking about like, oh, this is a young woman who falls in love with an older man in you know El Fanning, you're like, yeah, that fucking happened in Manhattan, guys. And that still t- crops up on all of the AFI lists and and people's best stuff. And it is a great. That's the other thing. It is a great film, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. So where you know that's where right. are we going to draw the line? Where are we going to be like I'm not okay with this anymore? It's it's only going to get more complicated from here. I well, hate to it, say it. And the funny thing is, is I actually was <laughs> asked a question the other day on a podcast about if I felt that Call Me by Your Name was in the vein of a Woody Allen film in terms of the the romance and I was like wait what <laughs> that's a comparison that you can make I mean surface oh, okay. surface level maybe yeah there's an age gap but it's not Woody Allen level age gap oh when no, I when not. I screened call me by your name uh, one of the critics in front of me was vehemently arguing that exact same point with one of the people standing with them that that it was yeah that level of bad Okay, I'm going to say I have drawn some ire from people because I have said that I am uncomfortable with the age, not because of the number of years between them, but because of the fact that Elio is still technically a child. Oh my god, Karen, you're not allowed to hate this movie, you homophobe. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you hate everything, Karen? Well, yeah, because of the fact that it's not my favorite movie, I apparently lack credibility, and I'm also irrelevant. So, you know, whatever. That's fine. So so everything I say on this entire podcast, you can just ignore, apparently. So, But my point is, though, even though I have expressed that I'm uncomfortable with it, it definitely does not rise to Woody Allen levels, even kind of. Like, it's just one little thing, and it, and honestly, it doesn't destroy the movie or anything like that. It's just one thing that I am uncomfortable with, and that's based on personal experiences from my life. So, yeah, to, to compare that to Woody Allen and to the themes in Woody Allen's films is ridiculous. Mm. So, Okay, keep in mind, Karen may say that, you know, she's uncomfortable by the age difference. I my my favorite one of my favorite films is the ninety seven interpretation of Lolita. So your Karen is like way <laughs> way more accommodating than I am regarding certain things. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Kristen's horrible. I know. Um. So yeah, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. That's all I'm gonna throw out there. <laughs> um. So let's move on to hopefully some happier things. Um. Leave the garbage men behind. It was actually uh. I don't know who who provided this, but thank you. Um, this was this is coming out of worldofreal.com. Who wants to lay claim for this one? I actually threw that one on there. That was I saw it on a number of other sources. That was just the one I happened to have in my hand at the time while I was including posting. my box office report on Word Circuit. Just saying. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, either way, um, it's actually um, saying that the top three films at the box office last year in 2017 was the first time that three female-led films had anchored the box office since 1958. That's truly stunning. Yeah, the highest grossing... Hasn't happened since then. The highest grossing films of of 2017 uh, was Star Wars The Last Jedi, Beauty and the Beast, the um, live-action remake, and Wonder Woman. And the last time we saw uh, the high-grossing movies with all-female cast was 1958 when it was South Pacific, anti-mame, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So, yay! <laughs> um, I, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's awesome, but if you even look a little 
further like if you look through the top 20 you've got a lot of films even if they don't have a female lead they have very strong female characters in them like guardians of the galaxy volume 2 was number four mm-hmm. and that's got a couple of really strong uh, lady, female lady bird you know, lady bird characters. is um still lady holding Bird's on so there's that yeah. um i mean yeah keep in mind only one of those movies in the top three is directed by a woman but we're, we're working, we're working on, that. on that. We're getting there. It's a process. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah. Yay. Some, some happiness. So let's get into another question. So speaking of horrible movies Kristen has enjoyed, um, I came up with this while I was mired in a spiral, the likes of which I'm not happy about right now. But it made me think up what we are all women who know what misogyny looks like in cinema. And we all have to deal with movies that deal with misogyny in cinema, whether or not you know it or not. What films do we have to, quote, turn our feminism off to enjoy? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So many. So many. Yeah. So many. Well, I'll start off by just, I mean, the entire character is completely misogynist, and that is Tom Cruise's Frank T.J. Mackey in Magnolia. This is a character who's entire, he's basically this health help guru to teach men how to be abusive to women, like to, to, you know, use them and, and let them go kind of thing. And he's a horrible human being. And oh my God, I love that movie <laughs> like for a lot of reasons. But I love how Karen also answered the sub question of which male character do we know is trash? But we love him anyway. <laughs> well, and that's and that's the thing that's so troubling with Magnolia is it's like he gets this sympathetic arc that does not in any way like address or try to fix how horrible he is to women, but it's it's like this arc that makes you go, but but he has daddy issues and I love him. Like, <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Uh, Lauren, what, what about you? What, what movies do you have to turn your feminism off to enjoy? And what, what character would you like throw aside all your feminist notions to appreciate? <laughs> uh, well, the, the one that I thought, I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious, but the ones that I thought of immediately, because I enjoy the films, most of the films a great deal, and also am heartily ashamed of the fact that I enjoy them so much, are James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every, like, particularly the Sean Connery Bonds, and if you sit down, <laughs> if you sit down and watch Dr. No, and <laughs> Thunderball, and, God, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. It's just, Goldfinger is actually one that used to be my favorite James Bond, and has now reached a point where I can't watch it anymore. Um, because... How about the gem Octopussy? Oh, God. Well, by the time you get into Roger Moore, it's just like, I, I don't even find him attractive as Bond to begin with. I do find Sean Connery attractive as Bond. Yeah. yeah. But even the Pierce Brosnan Bonds have massive problems. Like, I, I cannot name a single era of Bond where I'm like, Oh, this is okay. I could totally be feminist and watch this at the same time. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, and I will say, Goldfinger, yes, boys, he does rape pussy galore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that you don't want to hear that. You want to hear that, no, she to- she's totally consenting. No, he wrestles her to the ground, and he rapes the lesbian out of her. That's what happens in that movie. It's not as bad as the book, but it's still pretty bad. So, but at the same time, the, the Bond films are brilliantly, uh, have brilliant aesthetics, 
they can be loads of fun. Sean Connery really is a great James Bond, and they're iconic. And, like, I do, if Thunderball comes on TV, I will watch the crap out of that movie. But uh, I just, I can't be a feminist at the same time. It's impossible. <laughs> Kimberly, what about you? Well, this one is embarrassing <laughs> to admit. I know I've taken heat for admitting to liking this in many a film class. Ocean's Eleven, the 19, what, 60 and pretty much anything oh. <laughs> with Frank Sinatra. Uh, I am a complete sucker for him, and I, I had a huge Rat Pack phase in probably high school. Uh, but, yeah, and, and I, yeah. I was one of the few people who, when the Clooney, Brad Pitt, Ocean's Eleven came through, it was like, oh, my God, why are you touching my favorite film? Don't remake that. <laughs> but just everything about that movie, from the treatment of Angie Dickinson's character to just the Rat Pack as a whole. It's just in order to like it, and I do. I just have to switch that off and not acknowledge that side of my personality. So so what male character do you love in spite of their trash man tendencies? I have to go to TV on that one. Dean Winchester. Supernatural. Really? Oh, that's a curveball. So, okay. So I'm me. So this question is varied and multiple. Um, so if oh, I have a few. Oh others yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah. There's so more. If, I mean, the heavy hitters, the movies that I have to turn my feminism off to enjoy. And I will tell you, the inspiration for this movie came from me watching the first Charlie's Angels movie. The first one, not the second one. I will never watch the second one. See me next week when I watch the yeah. second one, probably. So yeah, the first the first movie is just like. Like, they assume that, like, yeah, it's feminism, ladies kicking ass, but we should also dress them up like St. Pauli girls so <laughs> that we can still get, like, tits in the shot. But other movies that I kind of have to turn my feminism off, I mean, The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid is one of my favorite mm-hmm. animated movies. It's probably, my, like, the first movie I saw as a, as a kid. And she gives up her voice for her legs. <laughs> and even from a disabled standpoint, like, that's a really yeah. fucked message for a little handicapped girl growing up. <laughs> So, uh, if I'm going classic, I, I really <laughs> love On an Island with You. It's an Esther Williams movie with Aww. Peter Lawford, where the plot of the movie is um, Esther Williams did a USO show and kissed him one time on stage, and he feels that that means they're in a relationship, and he proceeds to stalk her and kidnap her and take her to this island where his goal is to make her love him. It's weird, but it's delightful. It's Technicolor, okay? It's it's delightful. It's because he's Peter Lawford, and he was adorable. Exactly, he's Peter Lawford, the only American that always sounded British. Um, Yeah, so I mean, those are kind of like the movies that I really have to turn things off. And then in terms of like male characters that I love in spite of their trash tendency. Like, throw out a name of somebody I love, and I could probably tell you, like, a concession. Uh, the big the big one that I get a lot, I get asked a lot about from people is how I feel about Oscar Isaac's character in Sucker Punch. <laughs> yeah, he's... He owns women, he's like a raper, but he wears skyliner, and he sings and dances, and he's Oscar Isaac. I can't. Leave me alone. Um, Or, um, again, to throw Lolita in there, like Jeremy Irons' interpretation of of Humbert. It's terrible. He's a child molester. But the movie's so gauzy, and it's filmed like, you know, like a 40s movie, and Jeremy Irons is so bumbling. Um, Again, I am a horrid human being, but... I own all these things, and I've, I watch them fervently, so 
Yeah, please someone send me a, a list of movies that are worse so that I can feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the first ones that I thought of when you, when you threw out this question was, um, I really hate that I love Grease. <gasps> yeah. yeah. Yeah, same here. I love Grease. I love Grease so much. And Well, I mean, we all know that it was only because Danny and Kaneki couldn't get together at the end. Yeah, that was that was really the relationship there that like was was the big deal. And I mean, that's the thing. And and some you know, a, a guy was telling me this. A male critic was like, "Oh, you know, if I had to turn off my my brain for you know every movie that wasn't feminist or wasn't racist, you know, I wouldn't be able to enjoy movies." And my argument is that's stupid. And I'll let you all guess who this person was. It's somebody we all know. But my my issue was is I was like, yeah, welcome to being a woman or a person of color who wants to enjoy films. Like this is what we have to do to enjoy them. We we and by acknowledging that they are flawed, we can hopefully make them better. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing in, in so much of this that there there's this tendency of men to to come out and say like, well, if mm-hmm. I if I'm fe- if I'm too feminist, then I can't enjoy movies. It's like I can. I can enjoy James Bond and still be like, and still criticize it and still say, you know what? This is reactionary even for the 1960s. And, oh, you know, yeah. you can write, I've written mm-hmm. uh, articles and papers about movies that I really love yep. that at the same time, I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. One of my favorite films is Psycho. Like, and that has all kinds of complicated shit going on in it. But some of it good, some of it, you know, horrific. You can talk about all all the issues that we can have with with Hitchcock and his individual films. But that doesn't mean that I stop liking those films or that those films don't mean something to me. This whole notion that, you know, we have to be so so dedicated to our particular ideologies that we're not allowed to like something that is nonetheless problematic is just, it's bullshit. And then you, you get dudes like that who begin saying things like, well... If I, if I do this, I can't enjoy film, so I'm just not going to consider feminism. I'm not going to mm-hmm. consider women or exactly. people of color. It's like, no, yeah, you can do both. You could consider it and be like, hey, this is a problem. And you could also say, but I also really like it at the same time. <laughs> well, I mean, and I was, I'm just, I'm rereading The Feminine Mystique for an article I'm hoping to lengthen. And I just hit a portion in there where she is talking about feminism as you know the man hating the you know ideology that you have to turn down men turn down love and it's like listing all you know it's bullshit mm-hmm. we, we no <laughs> and i mean you know for for all of us who enjoy classic film i mean you have to you have to separate in order yeah. to enjoy enjoy classic movies i mean so many of those films are questionable i mean i love i love william holden and watching something like sabrina or the moon is blue you know where he just plays like this guy that's totally trying to get laid you just you gotta you gotta mitigate that doesn't mean that i don't love both those movies for their old old school romantic notions that are outdated But you can still appreciate them. Well, it's because there's more than one reason to like or not right. like a movie. There are so many facets to a film that you can appreciate one thing while not appreciating another. And it's okay. One of my favorite genres is film noir. Yeah. 
you have to look past it. Are you saying that I can hate how Oscar Beatty and Tropy Stronger is while still saying that the movie is not that bad and Jake Gyllenhaal is good? Well, Kristen, no, because you obviously have an agenda against Stronger and you hate oh, everything right. and everybody, so... I forgot it was Gris for my <laughs> feminist agenda. God damn it. <laughs> well, before... Everything uh, that's what our teacher agenda. is gonna say. Citizen Dave, ask us what's Gris for our feminist agenda. <laughs> Well, yeah, I found out I'm a social justice warrior <laughs> yesterday because I like Star Wars Last what? Jedi, so that was fun. You know that I feel personally victimized by Star Wars The Last Jedi right now, Karen. Okay, so before we get before we get into the last question, we'll we'll do our review and then we'll end it with our, our last question to send you on our way. Um, our review this week is The Greatest Showman. Speaking of problematic things... <laughs> Yeah. I was about to say uh, that. <laughs> Problematic things that are loads Exactly. Of fun. So, The Greatest Showman is uh, the story of P.T. Barnum. Uh, it's a musical uh, with music from Pasek and Paul, who won an Oscar for writing La La Land. They also wrote the uh, Broadway play Dear Evan Hansen, or the music for that. It stars Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Zandaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Michelle Williams. We all saw it. We actually all saw it. And we all have wildly different thoughts on it or at least thoughts that aren't the norm so i guess i'll start uh as gris from my feminist agenda and being <laughs> you know the handicapped person so i went and saw this with my mother and i looked at her after it was over and i said as a film critic and a disabled person i had problems as a person who loves 1960s-style musicals, I love that movie and i might have pre-ordered it the other day <laughs> on dvd <laughs> As as a movie, it's got so many issues. It's it's weak in the story department by a long shot. It's just like Michael Gracie, who is a, a, originally a VFX guy. This is his directorial debut because men fail upward. We, we gave him this, and it's evident that he knows how to frame things. I mean, the cinematography in this is beautiful. But the script, which got a polish from Bill Condon, is just not that good. It's a very reductive look at, at P.T. Barnum. I've, I've read and written about P.T. Barnum extensively, and this is a very whitewashed, happy interpretation. He's just a guy that thought differently and wanted to make his family happy and also wanted to make other people happy that the world didn't see. This is one of those quote-unquote outcast movies wherein you take a bunch of people that society has rejected and hopefully as the white able-bodied savior you are able to elevate them. It's the Snow White principle. And I, I don't really care for that. But the music is so good. It looks so pretty. Um, Hugh Jackman and the rest of the cast are really good. I said it's the ultimate encapsulation of, of what P.T. Barnum stood for. Throw enough whiz-bang in your face and hopefully you can get over the fact that, you know, it's really, really fucked up. So I feel very conflicted that I enjoy this movie. Karen, what about you? Uh, same. I there, <laughs> <laughs> From a storytelling standpoint, this film does not even come close to hitting the mark. There's so, like, there are just these blank spaces where you're like, wait a second, but how did we go from here to there, you know? And you just, if you know anything about P.T. Barnum, you know that they're leaving out some very important information about his life. But, and, uh, and about what he did. 
but it's just so beautiful and so fun to just sit back and just let the music wash over you. And it's so fun to watch a musical where people can actually sing and dance. I was so, you have no idea how happy I was to see choreography. So good at it. Yeah. Well, because the film, the film is full of people that came from Broadway. So this is what they do and they're really good at it. And it's, yeah, it was, it was refreshing to, to see that. And it just, I think if, if it hadn't been, if the, the choreography had not been as polished as it was, if the songs had not been as, as polished as they were, this movie would not have worked at all. But because of that, it made it easier for me to just sit back and just enjoy it. So hot take. I love this way more than La La Land. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we all know how much I love La La Land. Actually, it's really funny and we'll talk about it in a second, but I was at an event yesterday and I was talking to one of the producers for Dear Evan Hansen and I just kind of commented, oh, it's so nice to watch a movie musical where the people can, can actually sing and dance. And he's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> We didn't get into details, but I knew he knew exactly what I was talking about, so. Yeah. Um, Lauren, what about you? Uh, Alright, well, I, I, saw, I saw this over the Christmas break, and it was a choice between this and going to see All the Money in the World, and I, I wound up seeing this. I, I mean, I'm with, I'm with you guys. It's an incredibly problematic film. It completely whitewashes Barnum. Even if you have the... Even if you just look up on Wikipedia the, the story of P.T. Barnum and what he did... Uh, first of all, he's a charlatan. He exploited people. He exploited animals. He exploited everything and everybody for a profit. You know, it's a very American story. And so the and the film completely glazes over. Like it's just like, no, this never happened. This is a wonderful, happy story about you know about people coming together to form a family. And you know, like you're saying, the outcast syndrome. And I enjoy the crap out of it. I mean, the the film has no establishing shots. I've never <laughs> watching that film. I was just like, wait a minute, we're in we're in mm-hmm. London now. Why are we in London? Oh my god, that's Queen Victoria. Why is Queen Victoria? Oh, that's right. There was like a line about her in the last scene, and now we're apparently in Buckingham Palace or something. It's it, yeah. It, in some in so many ways, this is a disastrous film. But at the same time, I enjoyed watching it. I just had a good time sitting in the movie theater, watching this bullshit about. P.T. Barnum and watching these beautiful people sing beautiful songs. And and there is some great cinematography. The scene, um, the Zendaya, Zac Efron um, Oh, the trapeze. Uh, yeah, the acrobatic. With, with the yep. ropes, yeah. It's gorgeously shot and, and really well constructed. I was actually surprised to find out that the director was uh, originally a VFX guy because some of the CGI in this is truly yeah. awful. Yeah. I'd agree. The CGI animals just look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, he couldn't run everything, uh, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, I I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, I and I I kind of am ashamed of that <laughs> fact. But <laughs> yeah, this is one of those movies where you just feel shame, which is a great segue into our last question. But well, we're not there yet. Yeah, Kim, uh, and after Kim, yes. and after Kim talks, you. I want to throw out a couple. Yeah, oh, we're gonna talk more. But I was. I, yeah, I wasn't done. I was just <laughs> saying that I thought that that was a really like great way to sum it up. So, yeah. but Kimberly, share your thoughts on the movie. So I have now seen it twice. 
and good like, for you, Kimberly. You went yeah. twice. <laughs> I love it. I, I I saw it once as you know as critic me, and then I saw it once to pay for it and give them my money. <laughs> and like everybody else, I loved it in spite of myself. Uh, watching it, it's shame is the best word for it. I couldn't help you know watching it just all the problematic aspects of it, which everybody has discussed, and it. I just, I couldn't help but love it. It's, like everybody said, it's so pretty and the music is so fun. Because um, I saw Hugh Jackman in Boy From Oz um, for, it was, it was a high school trip. I made it out there and saw him on stage and that. And I've liked Hugh Jackman back since his musical theater days. And Les Miserables, which had its own issues notwithstanding, that it was so good to see, it's so good to see him return to musicals and it's just a return to form for him because he is so good in that and he has so much talent that he never gets to show in that and he is so great and I loved it I loved his performance in that um I was really surprised and really a little embarrassed how much I like Zac Efron in the film too <laughs> He's charming as fuck. Right? He is. And I have never liked him, ever. I mean, because I was a few years past High School Musical, so I'm, I'm not in that peer group at all. So he's just been that really annoying guy with the kind of nice abs, and I think I called them the brotastic comedies in my review. And it was like, oh my god, look at you. You're so charming, and you can sing, and you can dance. It was like, where did that come from? He was dancing in pants that were three sizes too small. That's all I'm I kept not saying. I'm complaining. I'm just saying. I was like, I don't, I don't know about this, Zephron. I That's hey, the, embrace the number with him and Zendaya was just amazing. One of the most, that was one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time, and I, I still listen to that on repeat on the soundtrack. I think it's important to point out, I mean, one of the the big things that that Car or uh, Lauren brought up and that I think we all noticed is the story's a bit weak. So like my my big takeaway was apparently one day he's like hanging out with Rebecca Ferguson's character who's Jenny Lynn the opera singer and then like all of a sudden she's like, "Oh, we're going to date, right?" He's like, "What? No." And she gets all like mad. It's like, "Wait, when did that all happen?" Mhm. Did, did were they in a relationship that I didn't know about? But I mean, how did you guys mitigate? It? And maybe it was just something I noticed the film's message, quote unquote, um, because like everybody's the whole intent, Barnum's intent at least in this movie is that he sees the value in in these oddities, uh, oddities at the time. That's the term they use, and we don't ever say it's monetary value. But even though he, Barnum did buy people, you know, it's the concept that like he sees that these people have something to offer. They are people. But at the same time, like everybody's really still like aesthetically pleasing. If you look at actual like freak shows from the early um, 1900s, I mean, those people were highly, you know, it wasn't just guys with tattoos or an albino here and there or a bearded woman. It was like microcephalics. And if you watch 1932's Freaks, it's a really great example. I mean, I I, had ish I expected them to go with this stuff. I did not expect them to show what, like actually non-aesthetically pleasing, you know, oddities. But but for somebody who doesn't notice that, I mean, well, how did you guys deal with with the film's message and all that? 
I just kept reminding myself that this is a PG mov- movie, and True. this is, I mean, the, the target audience for this is families. And yeah. so I just, you know, I just went into it with that in my mind. And, like, they want this to be a musical that's a big spectacle that families can enjoy together, which we actually don't. On Christmas. Yeah, that we really don't get a lot of anymore. It's something that used to be very common back in the 50s, 60s, you know, and it's something that has kind of fallen by the wayside. So that's how I went into it with that attitude. So I'm the yeah, same. I kind of felt like it was, I, cause I drew the conclusion in my review, I to me, it felt like a 1950s MGM glitzy, glossy musical. You know, this is for families on Christmas. It's not out there to be challenging, and it's not out there to ask questions, and that was kind of, yeah, where I came at it from. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, I, I had the same thought when I was seeing the film, that it, this feels like it's a 19, 1950s, early 60s um, spectacle, and that's the way they treat it. At the same time, it is an odd subject matter because you you can make a nineteen you can even make a nineteen fifties style musical about the circus without having it be specifically about P.T. Barnum and having having to deal with all of these uncomfortable things. And what happens is they kind of just gloss over. Yeah, it. it's just like we're just we're just gonna breeze right on past this and try not to pay too much attention to the seriously problematic aspects of all of this. And and like you're saying, Kristen, these, you know, even the, and big quotation marks around this, the people in the quote freak show are not freak show people. They are very like, not 19, you know, early uh, or whatever, 19th century, early 20th century with the people that were actually treated as exhibits. They are very attractive. They're very like well-muscled. They're very like Disneyfied versions. Yeah, one of them looks uh, like a Tim Burton character. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's 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 very much in that vein. I would love to actually see a film that treats of P.T. Barnum not as this hero, but as this you know exploiter of of everybody, pretty much. Mm-hmm. When they're doing the big "This is me" number, which I I kept laughing uh, because I was like, the, this movie has a real problem, and I will say as much as I enjoyed it, it has a real problem with intent of music to intent of character. So, like, the Mm -hmm. This Is Me song is this, like, supposed to be this rallying cry about how, you know, I I accept myself for who I am. And it comes as a result of the, the, the oddities being berated by these just, like, civilians that perpetually sit outside not unlike the weirdos in suburbicon who just like stand outside and are there to make make fun of them and like scream about them by the way racism doesn't seem to exist in this world either uh, it's just a hinted at a little bit but well, it doesn't it's england seem... it's not america america's well, true, the only true. racist countries <laughs> well either way okay so they're they're singing the song they're singing the song the 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 mob is outside and i was like yes Yes, sing this song about how you accept yourself for who you are and you don't care about what other people think. Burn it down. Burn the fucking museum down. Burn the whole thing down. Just, like, get a fire and burn it. We're not really <laughs> understanding. Sure well, here's the thing. They the, they do burn it down, but it comes as an accident and it's not really <laughs> intended. And I was also like, we're really missing the point here because you should be burning it down because you're being exploited by a man who just slammed a door in your face and told you you weren't cool enough to hang out with able-bodied white people. Yeah. So, like, that's my thing. And again, I understand, like, not a lot of people who 
really look at disability in cinema are going to notice that. But I was just like, guys, I know you all have good hearts, but you're really missing, like, the big guns that, like, didn't pay you, okay? Like, I kind of wish, like, the bearded lady at a certain point had knocked on Jackman's, like, big mansion door and was like, hey, nice house. I'm living in a box down by the street, you know? Um, but I'm really glad that your daughter gets to, you know, be a ballerina. These are questions. <laughs> well, well, and there's that scene that's very early on in the film where Barnum, who's, like, living on the streets, uh, is given an apple. Right. By, by, this, by this woman. And, and I'm sitting there going, like, and that was the moment where P.T. Barnum decided, I'll exploit disabled There's people. a sucker born every minute. This woman just started it. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's how it played in my head, and I know that that's not what the film is intending, <laughs> but I just, like, I was just sitting there going, like, oh, God, this, like, this is, yeah, it's and this is working against itself. And I think that's the problem <laughs> with dealing with a historical figure that we already know is questionable. I, and, yeah. I mean, I get what they're going for, and, and you brought up what I brought up. It's trying to harken back to those 1960s roadshow type of movies. You watch The Sound of Music, and that movie ends with the Von Trapps, sorry, spoiler, crossing the mountain to the next country and getting away. It's Holocaust. Who cares? At least, at least they made it out, you know? I mean, you're not really questioning the grander fear, even though you know yeah. what, what would, would eventually happen historically. You're just ha you're just so damn happy that the the von traps got out. The problem is you can get away with that I think with movements, you know, war stories. You can't really do that with peop with individual people where you already know everything about that individual person. I don't I don't know. I I think there's a distinction there. And and the film is very very careful also. One of the things that I noticed in discussing the way that the um, people in the circus were referred to. Barnum never calls them freaks. Right. He ne I don't think he even, he might call them oddities like once, but usually they're like they're unique people. Yes. Right. The bad guys. So the villains, the the mob that the is always standing outside of Barnum's museum for some reason, are the ones that call them freaks. Are the ones that like. So there's this very careful construction of language that's going on. Also, that so we're being certain that. In the world of the film, Barnum is the good guy. At no point are we are we supposed to feel that he's not going to be the good person at the end of all. Well, that's where that's where I was telling people. You know, this is why you need to have more, at least at the very least, disabled consultants. You know, if you're not going to have a disabled person write it, because we know what we know what is inappropriate from a language standpoint. We know that we don't call handicapped people certain terms. But we, all, we don't seem to know what ableism looks like in practice. So we know what's, we know what we need to change, but we still keep the regular thing. And that, that's always going to be hard for me. I, I, I enjoy this movie a lot, but it's really hard for me not to sit there and be like, you know better than to call these people freaks, but yeah. you're also not making a point of telling me that they ever got paid for any, like at the bare minimum. <laughs> Did they get a paycheck? I know they didn't get paid. Um, and I mean, at the end of the movie, Barnum says, you know, there's no money. And I was like, was there ever money for them? Because I'm thinking you put it all into that big house and these people are eating like scraps. You know, these are things that like a line of dialogue would have helped. But it's maybe, okay but you're not thinking they got that. To go to Buckingham Palace and meet the Queen. 
That's true. That's true. They got to meet, but who, by the way, Queen Victoria is played by Gail Rankin, who I got to see in Hamlet. So I was like, I know her. Um, she follows me on Twitter. So yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that was nice. Like, great, you get a free. But they also got their door slammed to their face by Jackman, who was like, uh, you can't hang out with us. Rebecca Ferguson's too hot for you guys to hang out with. And I was, I was both happy and sad at the same time because. We all gave La La Land, this is just shitting on La La Land. We all I'm gave La La Land shit, rightfully so, because of how weak the singing was. And so I was happy that we didn't force Rebecca Ferguson to sing. <laughs> but at the same time, I was also like, why couldn't we just get the chick that sang the song to play the character? Because I'm pretty sure the role is pretty insignificant. So in the grand scheme of things, we could have maybe gotten her, but I was happy that like, okay, dubbing is is acceptable. I'm okay with dubbing. So yeah, um, I, let's let's throw around Robin in here. What's the current like your current favorite song from this movie, Kimberly? Uh, rewrite the stars, Lauren. I cannot remember a single goddamn song from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, listen to the soundtrack more. Uh, Karen. I'm so basic, but this is me. <laughs> Uh, see, right now, um, I, this song is, like, once again, it's, it's the herpes in my brain, it just, like, pops up, and I, right now, uh, the other side is, like, my go-to jam, but I could also be Greatest Show, or it could be thinking, Never I was just thinking, I love that as an opening, like, introduction to this show, like, oh, That's right. where I said, I was all, this is, this is, they're going for Broadway, because that, that opening number is such a Broadway musical opening. Mm -hmm. Has nothing whatsoever to do with the plot. It gets all the cast out there, and I was so happy. It accomplishes what Another Day in S of Sun should have accomplished last year and right. didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was like, God damn it, thank you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we all do we all recommend this? I do. I do. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say I do. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but I do. Um, so this is where we give Karen the floor to talk about being next to Hugh Jackman as I silently seethe. Hugh Jackman and I touched each other yesterday, which is not actually <sighs> as creepy as it sounds, but, you know, that happens. It's okay. You have, no many, you have no idea how many people I, I mentioned Oscar Isaac touched me, okay, with no context. So, okay, so here's the event. Um, I was invited to, I thought it was like a press event, but it, Apparently it was not, and I was one of the only press people that was there, I guess. But it was basically their, you know, they're campaigning to get a couple of songs in for for Oscars for original song. And as Kristen previously mentioned, Pasek and Paul, who wrote the Oscar-winning song C City of Stars last year, they are in the mix this year for, they wrote three of the songs for The Greatest Showman. And so this event was for them, and unfortunately, Justin Paul was stuck in New York sitting on a runway, so he wasn't able to get there. But it was Benj Pasek, who is just the cutest, sweetest little thing. Oh, well, I say that. He's 32 years old. He's an adult. Even though he's much younger than me, he's still an adult, and I need to remember that. But he's just, just a doll. He's so sweet. And so Hugh Jackman was there as well to help promote this. And so basically... It was this not very big room at the Soho House, which is this club in Hollywood. And so they did a screening of the film beforehand, and then they had this reception afterwards. And there was a sort of informal Q&A that Hugh Jackman did. He was actually the one who was 
interviewing Benj. And uh, it was really delightful. The first question he asks was, so Benj, when you found out that you were going to get to do the music for this film, how nervous were you to meet me? (laughs) (laughs) And it was so cute because then Benj is like, well, I was terrified. And he was like, no, 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 don't tell them that. That's ridiculous. Like, you know, so they were just so cute and so funny together. And so then afterwards they, you know, so they're trying to kind of whisk Hugh out because I think he had to get to another event and before when I knew I was going to this thing there were a few of us on Twitter and someone like just randomly had joked did Hugh Jackman ever see the reader because when he hosted the Oscars the year that the reader was uh, the year that Kate Winslet won for the reader in his opening song and dance number he makes this whole thing I didn't see the reader I was gonna see the reader but there wasn't time and so I just randomly joked around. I was like, oh, well, should I ask him tomorrow? And then someone said, oh, yes, please do. So I was like, okay. And I just thought, well, this will just be like a funny little like foot in the door to start a conversation. <laughs> so <laughs> so he's, he, you know, he has a few minutes to talk to people. And the PR guy that had uh, gotten me there, he, he was standing right by. And I was just like, are you trying to get him out right away? And he's like, yeah, but I'll make sure that, that you get to say hi to him first. I'm like, okay, thanks. So he kind of directs Hugh over toward me, and my mom was there with me. And so he kind of directs him over to us, and he's just like, hi. And we're like, oh, hi, congratulations. And I, I was just joking, and I'm like, I have a burning question for you. And right then, someone else had, like, snagged his attention and was trying to talk to him. And he goes, hold on, hold on, we've got a burning question here. And then I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> like, now it's going to seem like this big deal when I'm just trying to make a joke. <laughs> So then I go, to, but now I'm committed, right? So I have to ask him. So I was just like, did you ever see the reader? And he just <laughs> laughed and he goes, yeah, that was just a joke for the show. Of course I saw it. I saw it before the Oscars. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and I was just like, damn. Yeah, like, but at least I remembered. <laughs> so, but then, yeah. So, um, but he was just so sweet. He, oh my gosh, you guys, he is so tall. And I just, I thought back to that scene in The Greatest Showman when the very tall person comes up to him and he has to like stand up on something. And I was just like, this dude is over six feet. How tall is that guy? You know, but. <laughs> okay, but, um, but Hugh Jackman smells really good, right? He does. I'm very obsessed with how, how people smell. I am okay? too. I am too. And oh, he does. And if, if, I mean, it's impossible to believe, but he's actually more handsome in real life than he is in pictures pictures actually do not do him justice and it's weird (laughs) Uh, Karen is just making me feel bad that I was not willing to spend $600 to fly down to Southern California which I I seriously contemplated my mother thanks you so Uh, (laughs) my mom was so cute she was so excited and yeah so we got our picture taken with them and everything and that's now her profile picture okay well tell tell mama peterson that she's very welcome (laughs) so but i also just want to shout out too like i also got to chat with benj pasek for a bit and he is just really a sweet guy and i wish the justin had been there too because i'd like to talk to them both but he i mean they won an academy award the first time they wrote music for a film and they are possibly in contention for another uh, nomination the very next year and they won a Tony for Dear Evan Hansen and 
this kid is seriously just like you could just tell he doesn't really know how this is happening to him and I was like oh my gosh I am at this event thinking the exact same thing like I don't know how I'm here and it was just kind of cool to see that he has not changed yet you know like Hollywood hasn't hasn't hardened him he's still very just like wide-eyed and excited and it, and it was really cool to see that so next time I'm I'm just gonna say fuck it I'm flying down do it <laughs> Okay, so we're going to close out uh, our episode with one final burning question to steal from Karen. <laughs> so, this, this, the questions this week have all been about horrible things we did for love, um, celebrity love. And the question then becomes, what's the worst movie that you've ever watched because someone you loved was in it? Kimberly? Stonehenge Apocalypse. And, and who, um, who was in that? <laughs> Misha Collins from Supernatural. Give, give, give us a, give that movie a quick shout out, dishonorable mention, thoughts you have. Um, it, it <laughs> is one of those sci-fi original movies that gets, you know, parodied all the time. He is a conspiracy theorist radio host who gets pulled over because there is, and I can't even 100%, it has been so long, there is Stonehenge is like a power generator, and there's these big conspiracies about stuff going down on Stonehenge, and he is the only person who knows, so he has to go solve the problem even though everyone else thinks he's insane, and I watched that for you, Misha. I watched that for you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Karen? Um... So, okay, when I heard this question, my first thought, of course, was, okay, what's the worst Tom Cruise movie I've seen? Which, uh, it pains me to say it, but yeah, it's (laughs) The Mummy. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) The Mummy can't. (laughs) The Dark Universe can't hurt you anymore, Karen. It can't hurt any of us anymore. (laughs) That is true. But, um, yeah, that movie is just... it's not good. But I will say that I enjoyed it more than a lot of other people did because of the fact that Tom Cruise is in it. And actually, I think a film that he did that's even worse than that one was Jack Reacher Never Go Back. So there you go. I have those two. Lauren? All right. Well, I, I have I have many. Yep. You and me I both, went, sister. I, I do too. But... <laughs> I went through a, a Peter O'Toole phase. And, and if anyone has seen Peter O'Toole's filmography, he did some great films, and then in the 1980s, he did some really, really bad films. And the worst, I think, is probably a film called Creator from 1985, in which O'Toole plays a, a medical professor in Southern California who is obsessed with making a clone of his wife, Lucy, <laughs> who died in childbirth 30 years earlier. Oh, dear. So it's like this weird kind of comedic Frankenstein story. Oh no. That that like this this young and it's Peter O'Toole Mariel Hemingway is in it, Vincent Spano, Virginia Madsen, David Ogden Styers. So it's like this it's not a bad cast, but the film itself is just awful. It involves O'Toole's character like getting a a young woman played by Mariel Hemingway to donate her egg to be part of the cloning process. And then they begin this weird kind of attraction slash romance. And meanwhile, David Ogden Styers is this villain who's trying to trying to get him tossed out of the university for good reason, I would think. Uh, but it's just it's just a bad film. I the most that I could say is that O'Toole is good in it. 
he almost always elevates any film that he is in, but it, it's it's truly horrific. And yes, I did buy it on DVD. <laughs> so me, um, I I was telling everybody people could just shout out names, and I would tell you the worst movie that I've sat through because I love so many people. I could I could throw out a couple horrible times, like that time I went and saw Your Highness at the movie theater. <laughs> I paid money for that movie for reasons or or every single Josh Brolin movie I've sat through, or the Burnthal Fest, or the Ironing. When I watched every Jeremy Irons movie, they're all bad. They're all terrible. <laughs> I hate everything about myself when I, I, I I'm abusive. I, I'm a glutton for punishment, okay? <laughs> I let these people hurt me. But the worst, the worst movie that I probably sat through has a bit of a story to it. So when I was deciding I loved Army Hammer, and I was gonna go and watch everything that he did. I decided to watch one of his earliest films, which is a horrible, horrible movie called Spring Breakdown. And I watched the whole movie. And I got to the end and I said, I watched an hour and a half of this fucking thing. I didn't see (laughs) Army Hammer once. What the hell? So committed and galvanized, I watched it again. And I said, okay, what is going on? I did not see him. I saw this movie twice. So I decided to go a third time and fast forward frame by frame to, to, yeah, to the very end. He is in the fucking end credits for 10 seconds. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) That's it. And I said, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) So yeah, that's probably the worst, worst thing I've ever, ever done. Um, which is going to probably be bested by the worst thing I'm ever going to do this week, considering what I'm watching currently. So, yeah, um, that is that is uh, us for this week. You can send us your answers to any of the questions that we pose. You can leave them for us on Twitter, at our official Twitter, which is at uh, CitizenDamePod. You can also contact us individually on our own Twitters. I'm at Journeys underscore Film. Karen, where are you on Twitter? At Karen M. Peterson. Uh, Lauren? I'm at LH Business. And Kimberly? At KPR624. You can also download our podcast at citizendame.podbean.com. You can also check us out on iTunes. If you are, please leave a rating and review. Thank you to the people that have finally gotten us a rating. We are a five-star podcast. Uh, and we also have another review. I don't have it up, um, but I will read it on the next episode. So thank you to uh, who sent that. Um, we also have something really fun in the works that we are um, going to be putting out, hopefully in the next, by the time the next episode comes out, that will be uh, the next next step for us. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk more when we actually have it finished. Um, so yeah, anything else? Any other parting things we need to throw out there? I think we're good. I think um, we're good. As always, we are the Citizen Dames, uh, Kristen, Karen, Lauren, and Kimberly, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
difference by being like everyone else. I can't just run off and join the circus. Why not? Well, you clearly have a flair for show business. For show business? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. Because I just invented it.